and welcome to the Arts Report for January the 11th, 2012. Happy New Year to you. I can still say that for a little while longer, I think. Uh, my name is Adam Yanush, and you're listening to us on CITR 11.9 FM, as well as streaming online at CITR.ca. The Arts Report is your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews, and today... We have all of those things. Check and check. And with me in studio, I have our books correspondent, Megan Thomas. Hello. Hey. I was trying to be all news-like. I was like, good day. Thank you for joining us. I don't do that. And then you've ruined it. I did. Yeah. On purpose. Well, if you had been really casual, I would have gone newsy. If I was like, hey, Megan, what's up? I'd be like, good day to you, Adam. <laughs> it's like a cosmic balance that we These must maintain. These headphones do not work, by the way. I've can you try to turn them up? I can try. Does that work now? Can you hear anything at mm-hmm. all? Huh. Well, we'll try to fix that later. You can always just turn... Oh, you can hear them. See? It just takes a bit of effort. Technology. Yeah. Um, so, on today's show... We're very excited because the Push Festival is coming next week. And we've got a ton of content... Uh, lined up for the next uh, three, four shows. And uh, every week we're going to have more and more interviews with push uh, performers. Which Would is- you say that you were pushing the push? Y- yes. I guess you could say that, but you apparently wouldn't, according to the look on your face. Pushing a push? I don't know. Just let's move Sounds on. Sounds like something that happens in the bathroom. I didn't say that. You said that out loud on the radio. <laughs> I did, didn't I? I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, no. Push is a performing arts festival. Ah. And um, maybe this is a new phrase we could start, pushing a push. Have you pushed a push yet uh, at all? No, hearing <laughs> you say it, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> anyway, it's a huge, it's a huge festival. And uh, it's got some incredible performance art, theater, dance, um, multimedia things, um, all kinds of amazingness. So uh, we're very excited because that starts up next week, uh, just a matter of days. So we'll we'll give you a preview of the festival, and also we'll talk about a one show in particular called Amarillo, and uh, that's coming uh, also next week. It's an early show in the festival, and it's only running three days. So we have to tell you about it now, so you can go and get tickets right away and go see it because it's uh, it's a show from Mexico City, and it's schlepped up all the way to Vancouver to be performed. Yes, I said schlep. <laughs> Valid? It's a valid term. It is. Not judging by the look on your face. <laughs> uh, but before that, we have... Oh, and sorry. And then as well, uh, we will uh, talk about books. Because Yay! Megan, you've been doing a lot of re- reading over mm-hmm. the summer summer break. The winter Christmas break. Yeah. What yeah. I did on my winter vacation was read and watch movies. Cool. So you, you'll tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Just the reading. And I forgot to mention this at the top, but we also have an interview for a very exciting show called Glory Days, which is a musical about coming About the age. look at a young man's eye? Y- yes. Glory Days? Bruce Springsteen? No. No? Not a Bruce Springsteen fan. Well, I didn't say I was a fan. I just said I <laughs> knew of his existence. Whoa, don't get angry he now. He exists. All right. There's a song. All right. So, but before all that, we have some, some breaking news. Yeah. Yeah. Can, we have, can you make some breaking news sounds, Megan? Yes, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. The government has made an announcement earlier today uh, that means there will be an expansion of gaming grants to the arts community. So to Get out there and gamble, people. <laughs> so uh, to tell us more about this, we have via telephone uh, arts support correspondent Nick Sartori. Hello, Nick. 
Hey, Adam. Oh, my God, it works. That is amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and let me just say before we get started, Megan, I really love your breaking news beeps. Those were, those were magical. Thank you very much. They were great. I was hoping you would make the uh, Morse code sound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right to this, Nick. Earlier today, uh, Premier Christy Clark made an announcement of new money for BC's arts community through gaming grants. Um, yeah. Yeah, she did, and um, and it was in an announcement that uh, she made with Minister Ida Chong, who is the uh, minister uh, responsible for culture in our wonderful province, and um, they made this announcement at the Port Moody Art Center, which, of course, is in the city of Port Moody. It's also and, um, uh, Christy Clark's own and um, basically what they were talking about was uh, this independent gaming review that happened. So just so everybody has some context, yes. back in uh, May 2009, the provincial government froze all community gaming grants for arts and culture groups. So um, that was groups that do adult arts and culture. Um, all those groups were uh, suspended and frozen. And then uh, later in the summer, around August of the same year, 2009, they um, basically said, we're not going to give out any of these grants. Um, we don't have the money and we're going to cut some of them money out and um, you are no longer eligible. So basically they cut 100% of the um, funding available to adult arts and culture groups, which was a significant, significant thing for the arts community because this affects uh, galleries, this affects festivals, this affects uh, theater, dance, music companies of all various sorts. Right. And sorry, if I could just cut you off there. It's, of course. Um, it's it had a particularly devastating effect for for companies that were already making plans for the next few years out and expecting the money to, to be there for the subsequent years, and suddenly that was gone. Yeah. Are we, are we allowed to say dick move on the radio? Yes, yes we can. As a dick move. <laughs> it was, and um, it, it really was. And it was interesting, actually, because uh, today the premiere, um, in a question and answer period that happened right after they made the announcement, um, she actually did acknowledge, uh, and it was a direct quote, that she said that the cuts were, quote, a mistake. Oh. Um, so she did actually acknowledge that the, the liberal government prior to her taking over as the leader, um, made a mistake in making those cuts uh, to the arts. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying the liberal government makes mistakes? <laughs> Apparently they do. Oh. Um, so that was, yeah, that was, that was uh, interesting. Okay, so uh, that was some, some context there for what happened. So what's, what's the, the news? What's, what's changed? Well, basically what, what happened, just a tiny bit more background, um, because this is important. Uh, the government, um, when uh, the new premier was voted in, uh, she uh, appointed this gentleman, Skip Triplett, and yes, that's really his name, um, to in, uh, conduct an independent gaming review. So he basically went to uh, select communities all around the province and got community input from you know local citizens, artists, uh, people who are patrons of the arts, and asked them what's important to them uh, in their communities and how can the uh, gaming grants and how can those programs better uh, serve the community. Right. And so today's announcement was uh, not only uh, the government announcing how they're going to change uh, their you know gaming grant uh, process, but also announcing this big report. So um, mm -hmm. today, the government announced that they would be introducing uh, 100 or sorry, um, 15 million additional dollars uh, into the gaming uh, grant. Uh, program. Um, so that covers environmental groups, sports groups, and adult and youth arts and culture. So that's a $15 million increase. It was previously cut down to 120 okay. total. Now we've got an extra $15 million that's been added to that. So it brings up to a total of 135. Okay. And yeah. um, is that good? That is good. Um, now, it's interesting because last year the government announced uh, in March, March 2011, um, that they would 
bring up the new base to 135 million. So basically, um, this was sort of uh, part of the government's plan was to reintroduce some more funding into this big pool. Because remember, this 135 million is not just for the arts. This is for uh, arts, sports, uh, culture, even parent advisory groups at schools. So it covers a pretty wide uh, range of people. What they have done today, what was really significant for the arts groups, was that um, they would allow uh, adult arts and culture groups, remember those groups were not allowed to access this money anymore, right. those groups can now have uh, access to those funds. Interesting. So they so, basically admitted that they screwed up by taking it away and they're giving it back. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So um, not only, yeah, so they, they acknowledged that that was, an, you know, that was a mistake and that clearly the community, you know, the greater community and the artists have said, you know, we need this funding and it's important to what we do in the programs that we provide in the community. So basically what uh, they're saying um, is that the groups that focus on adult person culture will be uh, eligible for these grants and that the um, groups that were cut in, the, in 2009 will get um, a dedicated $8 million uh, from that total amount. Okay. So basically what the government is saying, you know, this exact portion, which is $8 million, um, will be for, for um, the, you know, the groups that were cut. Um, and actually $6 million of that is for arts and culture. So that $2 million is going to go to uh, environmental organizations. Okay, nice. And tell us yeah. now, what is some reaction? Because this came out at uh, earlier this afternoon at about yeah. 1 p.m., so I'm sure people have been buzzing since the, the announcement. Yeah, there's been a lot of um, talk on Twitter. Um, the Alliance for Arts and Culture, which is sort of the main advocacy group um, that uh, sort of lobbies for arts and culture in you know, Metro Vancouver, um, they've posted a uh, response uh, from their uh, executive director, Rob Glure, uh, and he said, quote, we're very encouraged by Premier Clark's announcement of increases to funding and eligibility for BC granting grants, and um, just adding that stabilized arts funding has been a priority for her government and a personal commitment since taking office. And uh, that was something that the Premier did say and, and really make a strong point of during her her um, speech um, was that, you know, she really believes in the arts, and so um, this is a good step forward for those groups. Um, there is, the, the government talked about, you know, new application process and all, you know, bureaucracy and more red tape, so we'll see what the future holds in that sense for arts groups. Um, I wasn't able to get any arts groups on the record this afternoon, um, just because I think everybody was still digesting exactly what was going on. Right. But in speaking to a few different, um, you know, performing arts companies and uh, and folks just around the cultural community, it seems that everyone is happy that this is a step, definitely in the right direction. Right, right. So it's a start of hopefully, uh, you know, many more good things to come. It's still not. Um, this funding is not at the level that it was initially uh, in years prior to. To, to the cuts happening, but it's definitely a step in the right direction, and uh, it seems that the Premier and the Minister were uh, much more open to community input, which is something that shut down with the previous government. Well, thank you, Nick, for, for bringing us up to speed on this uh, exciting breaking news that happened. No to, problem. My pleasure. Yeah, luckily... Boop, 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 <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. And it happened on a Wednesday, which is nice. We don't usually get uh, to do a, a scoop. Yeah, exciting exciting news that happens right when uh, the show is on, so yeah. it's great. Awesome. Thanks again. And you are going to stick around because um, we're going to talk about Push in a moment. Yes, that sounds great. Perfect. All right. So that's Nick Sartori, and he is a regular correspondent on the Arts Report, and he 
covered the arts funding beat for us today and hopefully will again in this sort of unfolding story. Funnily enough, uh, the Port Moody Arts Center is located in the riding um, that uh, Premier Christy Clark used to hold. Do you think this has anything to do, Megan, with uh, elections? I think it may, in fact, do so in as much as it all does. <laughs> <laughs> that was the strangest... You guys, it's on podcast. They can go back and they can listen to that It's again. It's grammatical. Yeah. It works. All right. Um, we will do that later. We will reassess whether that uh, was grammatically correct. But uh, first, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, as you heard, Nick Sartori will be back to give us the scoop on next week's uh, start of the Push Performing Arts Festival. And um, he's spoken to some important people at Push and uh, is able to tell us uh, what's hot this year, what is not to be missed, etc., uh, etc. Et so y'all stick around because we're going to take a quick break. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Where else can you see Hollywood blockbusters, midnight cult classics, indie films, live music, burlesque, stand-up comedy, poetry slams, and live sporting events all at your local theater, your neighborhood indie theater that promotes all things cool. This January at the Rio, catch award winners and cult classics alike. David Fincher's take on the international sensation The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo runs nightly from the 7th until the 12th. January 19th, it's a classic double hitter with the boys in the band at 7, followed by My Own Private Idaho. Friday the 20th, the Rio shakes things up a bit with White Horse live in concert. Midnight movies this month include The Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and The Rocky Horror Picture Show. For more details on any of these or other events, go to riotheater.ca. And we are back on the Arts Report here on CITR 11.9 FM and online at citr.ca. In the Vancouver performing arts scene, there are two giant festivals that really take over the city every year. One is the Fringe Fest in every September, and the other is Push. While Fringe celebrates the wild, kooky, and raunchy, mostly new works of theatre, Push celebrates the bold, the sensual, and the international side of the performing arts. Well, it's back again on January 17th, and to give us the scoop, our support correspondent Nick Sartori is with me once again on the phone. Hello, Nick. Hello there. I'm, I'm just, I'm having so much fun working the phone line. You know, let me tell you, Adam, I didn't realize this. This is going to sound ridiculous that I'm now saying this on the air, but every time you put me on hold, um, I get to listen to the show, um, which is really great. So I know what's going on. <laughs> we'll just do that uh, every week. It's like we'll magic. I'm just going to start doing This is how I'm going to listen into the show every week now. <laughs> All right. That's great. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> Push is uh, coming to us uh, yet again, and it's always mm. jam-packed with um, artistic goodness from really the whole world. Um, so much wonderful stuff, absolutely. Delicious. Isn't it just? Uh, yeah, so uh, where do we start, Nick? You, you take it away. Well, I, um, I had a nice chat yesterday evening with uh, Danny Fecco, who is the associate curator for the festival. And uh, so Danny's job is she works with uh, the senior curator uh, and uh, the executive director, Norman Armour. And um, as the three of them uh, basically go around and they see shows around the world and in Vancouver and... Um, 
program in some really phenomenal stuff for Vancouver to check out over a couple of weeks in January. So um, it's six days away now. Um, they start next uh, week on January 17th. Um, and I guess if, if we're thinking about what's happening first, which seems to make sense, yes. um, Danny mentioned the opening night party, um, which is going to be at the Waldorf. Um, and uh, I don't have all the details for you, um, but I know that if you go to the Push Festival website, uh, you can find them there, which is pushfestival.com. And um, they're going to have a really awesome party. Um, it's going to be a great chance to launch into the festival and um, learn a little bit more from the people who make the festival about what is coming to our wonderful uh, city. Cool. And it's happening at the Waldorf, which uh, I believe is something new. So that should be fun as well. Absolutely. You got it. All right. So um, tell us what's, what's hot this year. What's, uh, what do we look out for or, or something we really need to pay attention to? Yeah, well, one of the shows, um, I asked uh, Danny a little bit about some of the shows that she's uh, especially inspired uh, about uh, as being someone who actually you know brings these shows in. And the one that I think you're going to chat about a little bit later in the show, Adam, is Amarillo. That's right. Um, and it's a show from Mexico, and I won't, I won't uh, steal your thunder, um, but I think uh, that one is a really inspiring show, really visually stunning show from uh, Mexico um, that is on tour. And um, they're... One of the things they're really focusing on this year um, is the theme of storytelling. Um, so a lot of the shows, uh, obviously, they're bold, they're contemporary. Uh, like you mentioned before, they're really innovative works. So it's not the usual theatrical fare that you might expect uh, in a more sort of traditional um, performing arts setting. Right. Um, they're doing a lot of stuff that's uh, perhaps site-specific or interdisciplinary, um, and this show is a perfect example of, of that. Um, one of the other things that Danny talked yeah. about was Club Push, and this is sort of an offshoot of the main stage programming that the Push Festival does. So they've got you know a handful of shows that they do um, at a various venues around town, but they also have this Club uh, Push um, thing, which is basically a smaller series of shows. Uh, Danny described them as uh, boutique shows, um, so shows that are sort of meant and built for a smaller venue um, or a more intimate kind of a setting. Yeah, and, I remember that uh, from. There's, yeah, there's a number of shows that are coming, and um, she talked about a few of them, and I'm, we're actually going to post that interview up on, uh, on our YouTube feed, nice. um, and uh, so that'll be available later, and she talks about a bunch of different uh, of shows uh, that are coming to the club, but definitely uh, wanted to encourage folks to not think of the uh, uh, club as the B stage for the festival. It's still a very big part of what they do, um, and they're bringing in a lot of really incredible work to that as well. Right. It's not, uh, it's not like the reject stage. No. Who couldn't make <laughs> it like, to the main stage. These guys weren't quite good enough, didn't make the main stage. Not that at all. Not that at um, all. And last year, I remember Club Push, uh, it was kind of sold as sort of like a cabaret, you know, like something where mm -hmm. you can sort of enjoy... Um, sort of on the periphery so you can attend the the main shows and that's sort of the 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 center of attention but then you can also have a really cool experience not necessarily just to see an event but to have um yeah an experience at one of these events Definitely. but it seems this yeah, year it's a more really intimate more um an experience where you're closer to the, the work and closer to the artist and um a lot of the stuff is uh, music based a lot of the work um and so there's artists uh, danny was explaining some that do for example a split a show in a cabaret-style setting, and, you know, so they'll do a, a set. Um, they'll improv half of their set, and then the rest of their set will be stuff that they've, um, you know, pre-planned. Um, and one of the um, uh, sort of curators, I guess there's a, a co-curating team um, for Club Push specifically, is uh, Canadian folk music um, artist. Uh, what did I, that was complicated. Folk music <laughs> uh, musician. 
I can't make sense this right it now. It makes perfect Canadian. sense. What are you talking about? Let's take three. Um, Veda Hilly, um, who is a Canadian uh, folk artist, um, she was one of the co-curators of, of the club. So um, with her input, obviously, as well, in addition to the rest of the curating team, they were able to bring in a lot of uh, musicians that are going to take advantage of that intimate setting and do that sort of half-set, half-improvised thing where they you know, bring in the audience. So, yeah, so, so it's a really great chance to connect uh, a little bit closer to the work. Nice. I think uh, the one that you're talking about where they mix uh, both is Making Art Noises, or at least one example of that, Making mm-hmm. Art Noises, and that's featuring uh, Ryan Beal and Charlie Demers. That's right. And that's going to be super exciting, and in fact, we're going to have them on the show uh, in a few weeks. Oh, wonderful. Exciting. There you go. Together, which is going to be great. They're both very funny people, so that will be awesome. <laughs> All right, well, we've quickly run out of time. Uh, if, if, if I could just give you one more thing to talk about, what would it be? The one last thing that I should mention uh, is Attack Lab. This is another offshoot. It's a workshop series um, that uh, Danny has uh, co-curated with a bunch of folks. And um, one of the, uh, the things that she uh, focused on in this one is um, bringing in all these incredible um, theater artists from uh, the States, from across Canada and internationally, who are going to be doing workshops on uh, directing. So wow. some of these are directing for designers, directing for actors, um, you know, the actors, directors, stuff like that. Um, but a really great chance for artists um, and, you know, the public to take in an opportunity to learn and collaborate and share with other really, you know, world-renowned artists. So all that info is also on the Push Festival website. Website. That sounds fantastic. It's going to be amazing. Wow, I didn't know they were going to offer all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very good. And uh, I'm just looking at the website right now, in fact, and uh, it's um, it's right there off the menu. There's main shows, club push, uh, and then there's assembly and attacks. Attacks Lab. Attacks Lab. Attacks that's Lab. It. Okay. And uh, they're all listed here, and you can find out more information on them and find out um, how to get involved uh, right there at pushfestival.ca. Okay, Nick, thanks so much for, for everything today. You're all over the you, place. You thanks, got it. Nick. My pleasure. It's been fun. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. All right. That was Arts uh, Report correspondent Nick Sartori. and uh, He seems nice. He's very nice, yes, and uh, he's great because he's he's very um, you know if if the art scene is a war, mm-hmm. then he's like an embedded correspondent. He's right in the field. Nice. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say too much. I don't want to blow his cover, but let's just say he's he... wearing a tutu right now. <laughs> is what we're saying basically, just to lay it out for you. Is that you. how you identify an artist? It's the one. It's the one wearing a tutu. Get him. I, in a crowd of people not wearing tutus, yeah, I would probably say the one wearing a tutu is probably the artist. I think that's fair. That is fair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, suffice it to say, he works in the industry. Secretive. Yeah. We just bonus cover. He, he'll, boop, be, boop, boop, boop. He, he'll be <laughs> stop, stop doing that. I can't now. <laughs> All right. Well, we, uh, there, there is the, the scoop on uh, some things that are happening at PUSH. You can find out more. Uh, by just exploring the website yourself, and you can go to pushfestival.ca to do all of that exploration. Do it. It's great. It's fun. There's pictures and links to um, video clips and interviews. You're just promoting the internet now. <laughs> There's words and pictures that take you to you other words things. and pictures. It's true. Um, so do check out their website and uh, stay with us because later in the show we will talk to uh, Danny Fecco from uh, the Push Festival, and she will tell us about a show that she found in Mexico. Whoa, there it is. I made it sound like she just found it. But she uh, was in Mexico City 
with uh, a play that was uh, touring and uh, discovered this particular show, Amarillo it's called, and was so blown away that she immediately wrote back to Vancouver and said, guys, we need to bring this play to Vancouver, and they've done it. So they've uh, they brought the show in, and uh, a little, a little um, inside, inside factoid, uh, they, uh, a big part of the budget went to a wall. It was spent on building a wall. Can you climb the wall? Oh, yeah. Does the wall light up? Yes. Nice. Is it made of gold? No. Ah. So we'll Fine, find out. Two out of three. Hey, we'll find out more about that wall and what's going on a little bit later in the show. But uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. So stay with us. The alphabet has only 26 letters. With these 26 magic symbols, however... Millions of words are written every day. Pick up your winter issue of Discorder, as the Jansember issue is packed with goodies that will warm even the coldest of cockles. Take a dip with Dixie's Death Pool, a spacey art rock collective, or read up on local outsider pop music makers, World Club. Cozy up on the couch with Filmstripped, featuring a review of Color Me Obsessed, a documentary on the replacements. And in case you missed the memo, 2012 is almost here. Check out the Discorder album picks of 2011. Don't forget to pick up your special Jansember issue of Discorder. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR. And we're on 101.9 FM in Vancouver. And as well, we are on lart.ca. Highly recommend to you. <laughs> and Megan Thomas is here with us as well. Hello. And uh, we should talk about some books that you have read. We should. Can you tell us, what did you do over your Christmas holidays? Well, I read some books. I uh, watched some movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a little sick. So, like, don't... A lot of people were. A lot of people were sick. It's like the Christmas flu. It's not my fault. It's not just people, like, I knew or anything. Everyone was sick. But it did give me a lot of time to catch up on uh, a lot of great books. Some of them sent to us by local publishers, and some of them... Um, discovered here at CITR, so it's uh, it was really really fun. Um, so the books uh, that you have you've read a lot. Uh, I guess yes. you have to in your job as uh, the books correspondent for the. That Arts is Report. true, but like I said, I you know I had a, a pretty quiet vacation, so and I, I started around the twentieth of December, so you know. And you're a fast reader. How fast can you plow through a book? Pretty pretty fast. You know uh, this What's one. Fast? This one is. You know, if it's I can not do it, highly if, deep. If, if I can is, do it in under two weeks, that's This is 190 pages. I read that in one day. One day? Yeah. But like I said, like that's, you know, eight hours of reading. I was just sitting on the couch all day mm. reading, snack breaks, etc. Co- sounds cozy. Yeah. So So one of those was, uh, well, I'll let you start. Which what, uh, What's one of the books that you read? Well, um, the one that I just mentioned actually is uh, called The Big Dream by Rebecca Rosenblum. And that's actually, I believe, Biblio Oasis. Uh, yeah, out of Ontario. Now, they've also done um, The Idler's Glossary by Joss Glenn, who I, which I, is a really cute little book, and I love it. Um, and Amy Jones' What Boys Like, which is another great one. So, of course, people at home can't see this, but this book is called The Big Dream. Short stories by Rebecca Rosenblum. Really... I'm going to have to say, guys, I judged this book by its cover. I know, you're not supposed to do that. There's a whole saying about it. I looked at it, and I said, this looks like chick lit, which is great sometimes. Um, it's got like a... It's got Easter egg colors. Yeah. And... What do you call this? A, a frame? A picture frame? There's a picture frame on it. And it kind of, it just looked like something about shopping. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, I was home and I, I finally read the back and I gave it a shot. And it's really amazing. It's uh, a collection of interconnected short stories about mm-hmm. Dream Inc., which is a collection of magazines. Dream Woman, Dream Vacation, Dream Condo. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's stories about the people who work there. Um, everything from, you know, the cleaning lady to the CEO. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of their lives. Um, and it's a real collection of stories about corporate... Um, Oh, I don't want to say corporate America. That sounds terrible. But, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of finding uh, love and purpose and, um, you know, being responsible for other people's lives, loves, and purposes hmm. um, in this kind of corporate structure wow. that is supposed to be about, you know, creating and pursuing lifestyles. But really is just, you know, it's just a bunch of cubicles like anywhere else. Wow, you, st- you made it sound so good, though. Like, it is really first excellent. corporate American, and you're like, oh, that crap. And then you just, you know, you said that. And yeah, well, that's really my job. quite rich. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, you know, it's, it's well-written, it's direct, it's funny. Um, and so I would, I would definitely um, recommend that. And uh, I'm sorry, who's the author, though? Rebecca Rosenblum, and it's Biblio Oasis out of Ontario. Is that Ontario. Her first book? Um, I think it is her second collection of short stories. I just, I ask because we, we often talk about, uh, first book syndrome. Oh, oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so no, this is a excellent, very, um, I, I really love a really nice direct show don't tell type of writing. Mm. It, you think you can't do show don't tell with writing because of course it's all tell, but no, the, uh, the actions of the characters and the, the descriptions are, are fantastic. So, um, that is something, and it's just it's a it's a fun read as well. Cool. What else you got? Um, so uh, a couple of others I'll just run through real quick. Um, I during the fun drive I made a donation as did we all, and um, I got a book uh, Tom McCarthy's Tintin and the Secret of Literature. Mm. So this is actually out of London. It's not a local, but I, I just loved it so much. Um, this is for my critical theory peeps. Out there, okay. Have you <laughs> finished? Represent. Have you finished your English degree and you want to read critical theory, but at the same time you don't want to carry an eighty-pound textbook around? Well, this book is for you. And also, do you love cartoons? And also, do you not? If you don't want to see the new Tintin, but you need Tintin in your life, this is great. Then it's, call now. It's a collection of uh, collection of essays, basically. Um, Uh, on different themes in Tintin and also the political and thematic history of the Tintin um, stories. Uh, Super timely, but uh, no, it was really interesting. Um, It talks a lot about um, the political bent of Tintin and, you know, theological, like it gets deep and a little dark too. Um, So that one is super fun. And and really I just mentioned it because... um, there's a, a whole range of, of books out there like philosophy according to Monty Python and et cetera. So I, I really mm-hmm. love when they take critical theory and they Make combine it, it with accessible. pop culture. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, what else you got in that pile? What else I got? So I actually haven't, literally I haven't finished this yet. It's like a 500 page Ooh, book. Don't admit that on air. I know. I got about, I got about 50 pages left or something. You ever watch Jon Stewart and you know, he's got like an author every night. Yeah. As he a guest. never. Well, this is, there's, the there's books. like a debate raging. Well, Over whether he actually reads the books? Just between nerds like me. Yeah, who, who, whether he actually reads them or whether he's got an assistant who just gives him, like, the Coles notes or what, he reads I bet a few you, chapters. I bet you he, d- he reads some of it. I'm sure there's got to be a few when they're like, oh, this one's actually really worth it. They give yeah. It to him. Plus, they're only on four days a week, so he has three-day weekends to read. Yeah, I'm sure that he's not busy at all. As a full-time radio, uh, sorry, television show host. Oh, come on. I, th- I don't know. I think he's kind of lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but his hair is so good. It's, so it's, there's like a trade-off. Don't nice. act like you don't know whether his hair is good or not. <laughs> nice you know suits, too. Good. He's a well-dressed uh, yep. fake newscaster. Yes, he is. 
All right, what else? Um, so I am currently reading Who Killed Janet Smith. This is an Anvil Press book, and it's actually a Vancouver 125. So this is... Um, is this the one about uh, Vancouver in the dirty 30s? Yes, it's excellent. Um, it's actually late 20s. Yes. Um, and so basically it is a reprint of a book that was published originally in the 80s, but it was about... Um, Vancouver in the twenties, and um, one of the interesting things so about wait, it. Sorry, this is a reprint. Yes, of a book that book was from published. the eighties. Okay, about the nineteen twenties. Okay, so it's not new per se. No. Okay. Um, but it is part of the Vancouver one twenty five legacy series, so um, very uh, timely. And the thing that I really enjoyed about it is, it is is basically kind of like true crime. Mm-hmm. It's um, a recreation of the events based on transcripts based on his own research based on uh, media newspapers um and so there's two things first of all there is the amazing story of who killed janet smith which has yet to be solved as far as i know really um and uh corporate uh political intrigue um police corruption um the the second layer um is of course you get an insight into what Vancouver was like socially in the 20s among the elite and among, uh, you know, the, the racism and the corruption and the elitism. Um, a lot of it takes place in Shaughnessy Heights and Point Grey and Chinatown. And so, um, you know, there, there really aren't, I, I don't think, um, if the foreword to the new edition is uh, accurate by historian Daniel Francis, there, there really isn't another really book out there, especially at the time. There's, there's quite a few history books about the building of the city, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot out there about the actual social um, fabric of the city at that time. You know, one thing I kind of lament, mm-hmm. if I can use such a word, is um, that we don't know a lot about our own city. You know, Canadian history is bad enough in terms mm-hmm. of yeah. like the education system and and pop culture because mm-hmm. like we know, we know everything about yeah. presidents and and kings of England, kings and queens, but we know so little about Canada and we know even less about the stories of our own city. So I just flipped randomly. Okay, mm-hmm. this is on page one twenty one. And this is actually a really good example of something really cool. Um, In the 1920s, a Chinese witness was ordinarily given the traditional, quote-unquote, fire oath. The salient details of his police testimony were written on a piece of parchment before the opening of the court. When the witness took the stand, his paper oath would be set on fire, and as it burned, he would swear to answer the court's questions truthfully on pain of disgracing his ancestors. Alex Henderson, this is um, one of the prosecutors, Mm -hmm. however, insisted that the coroner authorize an unusual and more elaborate form of oath-taking, which required the ritual decapitation of a live hen. The quote-unquote chicken oath, Henderson claimed, would provide an even stronger inducement for Wong Fung Sing to tell the truth. Whoa. And um, what's really interesting is, for example, uh, Wong Fung Sing um, is kind of one of the linchpins of this entire affair. He's kidnapped at one point, and they're a large part of the story is about trying to figure out if the police actually kidnapped him, held and tortured him for six weeks. And um, his testimony was taken by uh, another local uh, Chinese man who not only had a different dialect than he did, but actually was implicated in the crimes. But that was his translator. So that was the person who was taking down his official testimony in court. What? Yeah. Wow. Also, he was actively prosecuted in order to find evidence of other crimes. Jesus, it's like one sordid layer beneath another yeah. sordid layer. Yeah. So it's uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, there's so many names and dates. So it, it, it's it's quite the plow. But it's it's just every page is like, I can't believe it. And then something tops tops it the next time so better than any crime drama on television definitely sounds like a great read okay we're yeah. running out of time okay. maybe tell us about one more so my last two here um 
so this is what we we're talking about first novel syndrome. Yes. And these two books um, really kind of contrast Anyways. each other. Oh, yeah. they do. They contrast each yeah. other. Yeah. So what we have here is in the field. Now, this is actually won an award, the Metcalf Rook Award, and this focuses on like representation of Canadiana. Um, and I'm not super familiar with the whole background of the award, but um, it's set in Nova Scotia and in Toronto. So it does do a really amazing job of giving you an idea of kind of this modern small town mentality that she wants to focus on. Uh, it's Claire Lacan. And this is um, the story of someone who is, uh, I believe, like an agro researcher, so she focuses on soil. Okay. And she um, goes to deal with her mother who is, you know, kind of disin- like disintegrating mentally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she brings her kids out with her, and she's in an um, interracial marriage, so she has biracial children. And there's so many interesting things that happen in this book, none of which I find are dealt with particularly well. Um, <laughs> none of which are dealt the with thing is, The well. thing is, there's a lot of excellent writing. She has an excellent... Uh, she's been in Subtrain. She's got tons of training at UBC, creative writing. Uh, a lot of the writing is, writing is very excellent. Um, but as I said, with me, I always describe first novel syndrome as too much. There's too much novel here. Um, <laughs> like it know, just sort of goes off in too many directions for one it's book. It's supposed to uh, be using um, soil as a metaphor, and she does talk about soil quite a bit in terms of layers and history and movement and change, and that's interesting. Um, it's also on the back, it says it's about this you know, interracial marriage, and she does talk about that a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's about twice as long as it needs to be, mm-hmm. and um, I think that a lot of, in my experience, my short experience, a lot of first novels, is the, the editing is not a enough okay yeah so i think that so it's some, um it's a great start needs to be picked up by the editors it's, it's a great start um and i really enjoyed a lot of the story like the mm-hmm. story was really interesting but there the layers didn't fit together satisfactorily okay and um one of the reasons i think it actually suffered is because i just finished Segway, <laughs> um eating dirt um by charlotte yes, Gill, which we've which talked is, about on the arts before yeah there was a really great interview with uh Junior Vice President of Books, Ariel Fournier. <laughs> Junior Books Correspondent, yes. Ariel um, And uh, it's, it's, it's amazingly written. And the difference is that Charlotte Gill was a tree planter, you know, for over 20 years. And she knows soil and the forests, both from a research capacity and a, and a hands-on capacity. Um, and in the, in the field, she uses soil as a central metaphor, and, uh, but she actually doesn't like she did that all research, she had people help her with that. So I think the the write what you know is you know the biggest rule. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is really something that um, actually gets lost with the ability to research that we have these days. Right, you mean with the internet? Yeah, the internet, and also um, a lot of people coming out of schools of writing, they have these really amazing resources with say other schools in UBC. Okay, but maybe those things are taken like used maybe too much. Okay. I, I that's that just talking off the top of my head sure, there. Sure, but. sure, sure. But sort of like rather than mm-hmm. doing a, an amazing job researching your topic, mm-hmm. maybe just stick to the things that ring more true with your own life experience. Yes, and then and then once you have that kind of set, and then you can you can move outward. Yeah, as a base. Um, yeah. But uh, the Charlotte Gill book uh, "Eating Dirt" is actually um, it's published in part by David Suzuki. So it talks a lot about forestry, and it's a very, it talks about the ambivalent place of um, tree planters in forestry. And Ariel talked a lot about that. But what I will say is that this book is excellent. I think In the Field suffered in comparison to it. So I will, you know, um, Charlotte Lacan, she's obviously an excellent writer, and I think there's yeah. good things coming from her. But um, So that's my subjective point of view. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, the Vancouver Book Club is actually going to be doing a book club with Charlotte Gill. Um, at Project Space um, on January 28th, uh, 2 o'clock, and 2 to 4, 
will be the talk, and then we will have doors open uh, a little early and stay open a little late so that we can all hang out and there'll be refreshments, and it's a free event. So if you're intrigued at all, um, you know, go back, listen to Ariel's interview with Charlotte. Um, I have a review up on Vancouver Book Club as well that the team helped me with. Um, and give us some links there, Vancouver Book Club. Yeah, it's uh, uh, vancouveristawesome.com slash book club um, is kind of the main page. But I would just Google probably Charlotte Gill Eating Dirt Review. Vancouver Perfect. is awesome. Yeah. All right, so give us a quick rundown of uh, all these books. Yes, yeah, so these are the titles if anyone's interested. We have Tintin and the Secret of Literature by Tom McCarthy. Did we actually talk about that one? I did briefly. Okay. Uh, the Big Dream by Rebecca Rosenblum. Who Killed Janet Smith by Ed Starkins. In the Field by Claire Lacan. And uh, Eating Dirt by Charlotte Gill. And that will be the uh, Vancouver Book Club uh, winter selection. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Megan, for, for giving the, um, reading all those books over Christmas break. You're awesome. Uh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. You know what? We it forgot, was my pleasure. We forgot the books jingle to start with. We're forgetting all the jingles. Oh, but we can play the, play me the out. outro. All right. Yeah. And that was Megan Thomas with books. Books, books, books. Stop doing that. Sorry. God, too much Morse code. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll tell you about one of the early shows at the Push Festival and play our proper new uh, Push jingle. Megan, you're going to love this. Is it? Is it? <laughs> it's nothing like that at all, which is why it's good. So we're going to take uh, a quick break. So stay with us here on the Arts Report on CITR. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the UBC Westside area at The Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books, the Bike Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Grill, Gumdrops, Prosson Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. And we are back on the Arts Report, which is, of course, every Wednesday at 5 p.m. here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming on the interwebs at citr.ca. Also on the interwebs is a link to our previous shows, that is to say our podcasts, so that you can listen to uh, earlier shows, such as, Megan, the one where we uh, interviewed author uh, Charlotte Gill. Gill. Yeah, for the book. Eating dirt. Eating, eating dirt. And we had a kind of ridiculous conversation about the values of eating dirt. Yeah, I think were we – did we decide that we should do that or not do that? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. remember. We'll have to listen back. Okay. We'll, right. we'll leave that to the listener to decide. We will. Uh, so uh, Push is coming uh, next week, and uh, we're getting very excited here at the Arts Report um, um, content factory. Um, all the turning it out. Yeah, turning it out. All the little helper elves here are um, working overtime, and um, and getting paid according to union uh, prescribed rules. Um, just wanted to mention that. And so we're very excited for that. So let's uh, get started with this week's push coverage. Push it real good. Yeah. That's not a jingle. That is something that was push it. <laughs> Which we've turned into a jingle. Come <laughs> Fair on, enough. Stay, stay sorry. with me here. I'm sorry I deviated I'm there. To keep it professional. 
A man departs from the U.S.-Mexican border and vanishes. Amarillo, or Amarillo, Texas, depending on your linguistic persuasion, is the destination he never arrives at. Through stunning projected imagery, bilingual monologues, and a sea of displaced objects and natural elements, his journey begins to emerge. Amarillo uh, has been called visually arresting and orally hypnotic. And it's by theater company... Teatro Linea de Sombra from Mexico City, which is one of the most uh, renowned Mexican touring ensembles, and they've been all over the world, including Canada, France, and uh, Russia, of all places, um, including, yeah, basically the, the entire world. So to find out more about this show, I talked to Danny Fecco, who is with... Uh, the Push Festival, and on the website, there is a statement, a curatorial statement from her on the Amarillo page, where she describes how she discovered this show, and and actually, if you go uh, to pushfestival.ca and read it, um, which I'm trying to click on here, and it's not coming up, she actually quotes her own email that she wrote back to uh, the folks at Push when she saw the show in Mexico City, and she basically wrote them back and was like, guys, listen up. <laughs> Bring this show to Vancouver. And um, so I, I spoke to Danny uh, just a little bit before the show aired. And um, here is our conversation. And I believe my first question was um, how she found uh, the show. Yeah, I did, actually. I was, oh, my goodness, last two summers ago, summer of 2010, I was lucky enough to go on tour with one of the Push Festival shows from the 2010 Festival, Best Before, um, and the tour happened to take us through Pachuca and Mexico City, where I uh, to the a festival that is done by the theater company who does Amarillo, and I met up with the lovely technical director there, Azael, and um, I stayed on a few extra days in Mexico City, and he said, "Come see this show," and I went, uh-huh. "Okay." <laughs> uh, so I went to this amazing venue, sort of above a cafe slash bookstore, very out of tucked in the middle of nowhere, tucked yeah. out of the way, and I saw Amarillo and was totally struck, and I still have the email that I wrote to Norman and Sherry, who's our, our executive director and um, senior curator, respectively, just saying, this needs to happen, because it's amazing. <laughs> this must yeah. happen. And you, you mentioned the, the location of the show. Can you give me a sense of what's the theater scene in Mexico City like um, in terms... I, I get the sense that it's, um, that it's very vibrant, for one, and um, that it's not... You know, it's not stuffy and formal, but sort of happening uh, at any, uh, you know, crack and corner. In Mexico City? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? So you? Yeah, it is. It's pretty, it's, um, it's super vibrant, it's super busy, it's unlike any sort of culture I've ever experienced, actually, so it really was a blessing to be there. It's this giant city that feels like a small town, because it's it's so big that you don't really have a choice but to stay in small pockets, Uh which sort of gives you the illusion that there's not very much more. It's hard to fathom how much more is out there as part of the city. Everyone is so welcoming and so caring. We had a great time with our (laughs) house techs there. Um, Definitely, they took us on many, many adventures, seeing the Luchas Libres and... There was a few tequila shots during the shows. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Now, what can you tell me about the show itself? Like, who is the main character, and what are some things that happen in the show? It's, yeah, Amarillo is... What struck me about this show was that we come in Vancouver from a culture that is so 
heavily saturated with uh, immigration, and right. nobody here is really from here. And what was so exciting to me about Amarillo, one of the many things, was that it was a different perspective on that story. Mm-hmm. And it's there are many people who have tried to cross the border from Mexico to the States um, in Amarillo, Texas, and have disappeared. Um, one of the clips in the show is there's actually this video game that uh. came out years ago about shooting Mexican immigrants at the bar- border, which is horrific, but... Is it a real game? So, it's a real game. Wow. Yeah, it actually exists. Crazy. Which, yeah, pretty crazy, hey? Mm-hmm. So, the story is about kind of these lost boys and a lot of these men that went missing. They Often it was the men who would go and try and make the new life for themselves, you know, to establish and then bring their families over. So, it's the story of this man who leaves his house in the hopes for a better life, and then disappears. Um, it's very quiet at times and then very, very exciting at other times. There's this amazing, one of the performers is a throat singer. Oh, and really? I remember seeing it and it, t- yeah, it took me about 20 minutes to actually figure out that it was happening live. It was so <laughs> subtle, but so haunting at the same time. Yeah, I know. Um, and I understand so there is a, sorry, I, I understand that there's a wall as well. Can you, can you tell me about the role that the wall plays? I can't. Well, um, it plays a large part of our budget. <laughs> but, no, the wall is, um, I guess it's completely a symbol for the border and from trying to get up and over to another place. The, one of the amazing things about the show is the use of projection. So they have live feed cameras that are facing, as you're looking on stage, but also... Um, face down to the stage so the performer will be lying on the stage with images projected and then what he's doing is projected onto the back wall and it looks like he's just walking down the street mm. um, which is really stunning so I think that the wall is really there is just a symbol of trying to get over to that better place and never really quite being able to reach it uh, of course it's used as other different things it's used as a train and the house and all those different things but really I think it's essence it's struggling to try and get over into that new life and never being able to achieve it. Now, uh, the show has received a lot of praise for its technical aspects, the, the lighting, uh, the sound, the projections that you mentioned. Is that the part that's really uh, mind-blowing? Is that the factor that sort of uh, takes it to the next level? You know what's amazing about this piece is it's the use of simple technology that's mind-blowing. Mm. Um and it kind of gives you this sense of that you can create art with anything as long as you're passionate about passionate enough about the story. There's a lot of sort of large water tubs used on stage that they shine lights into, and um, the use of sand is very prevalent. And just simple theater magic tricks yeah. that are so simple but so hauntingly effective. And for me, that's really what I was struck with. It was the fact that they weren't using new technology as a crutch and that that's not what was making them set apart from everything else. It was their combination of new technology with essentially household items, just things you would find lying around the house that were really um, vital to Mexican life. That's what was stunning for me. Right, so the, the yeah. technical and the technological side of things, it's not a gimmick. It's not something to to be cool or, or done for its own sake, but um, is sort of interwoven with other just good old-fashioned techniques. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's all very subtly culturally referenced. I mean, mm-hmm. we've actually shipped a lot of the things up. The show was done down in L.A., and we've shipped a lot of the things up because... 
for example, a water bottle like we would have on a water cooler here, it just doesn't quite look the same. And so culturally, it wouldn't be telling the same story if we were just using a Canadian Springs water bottle as opposed <laughs> right. to bringing bringing one up. You know what I mean? Like, it's very specific to help place the story and tell the story about how important those elements are uh, to the characters. Great. Well, we've run out of time, but uh, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to tell us about uh, Amarillo. And I understand it's only playing for three nights, is that right? So you got to get tickets That's fast. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's going to take off, I'm sure, and we're so proud and excited to have it at the festival. All right, and that is Danny Fecco with uh, Push Performing Arts Festival, and she was talking about Amarillo, and that's coming to the Push Festival January 17th until the 19th, so not a lot of time, 8 p.m., all of those times, and this is happening at the Faye and Milton Wong Experimental Theater at the Gold Corp Center for the Arts, which is uh, SFU downtown. and um, SFU! Yes, and there's a pre-show screening of the film Norteado, on January the 18th at 6 p.m., and that is free. That's fantastic. Free. Oh, my goodness. So don't miss that, okay? I, I'll try not to. Okay. No, don't just try. Don't miss it. Okay. Yoda. <laughs> Do not try. <laughs> Attend. <laughs> okay. Where was I? Just totally lost it there. That's terrible. Why train of thought. Gone. Mm. That was really bad, Yoda. And tickets for this range from 26. Or good Kermit the Fog. <laughs> Tickets range from $26 to $32, and uh, it's different uh, depending on whether you get them at the door or uh, advanced tickets. Advanced tickets are available from tickets-tonight.ca, and uh, runtime is 60 minutes, so check that out. All right, we are quickly running out of time, but we have one more... Oh wait, we should uh, we should close our. Uh, that's that's all the uh, push coverage we have for you this week. But next week we will have a ton more, including we'll talk about shows such as The Idiot Dostoevsky's The Idiot, huge huge uh, book by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Well, they're all huge books. <laughs> By Fyodor yeah. Dostoevsky, that is true. But The Idiot is a huge uh, co-production between uh, UBC and uh, and Push. Um, so that's very exciting. And Adrian Wong will be telling us about it next week. Also, uh, we'll talk about Craigslist Cantata. Ooh. Yes, Craigslist ads set to Bill music. Bill Richardson. Bill Richardson will be on the show. Yes. Nice. You guessed it. That'll be very exciting. And uh, Soledad Barrio and Noche Flamenca. We'll also talk about We're going to get show. another call from Anna. <laughs> we, got a, we did get a call from Anna, our uh, producer who was in Mexico, and she, she had to correct me on my, uh, on my Spanish. It's uh, linea, not linea. Yeah, because it's from Mexico, not France. <sighs> anyway, so we got lots of push coverage uh, for you next week, so stay tuned. But uh, for now, that is the end of our push coverage for tonight. Now is the time on Arts Club when we dance. All right. So moving on with the show, we've got one more thing to tell you about, and it's called Glory Days. Yes, next Wednesday at the College comes a musical about being a 20-something in the 21st century. It's called Glory Days and tackles the issue of the me-millennial generation coming of age. I spoke to director Sarah Jean Hosey, who is also an accomplished actor and singer. She recently starred and sang in A Closer Walk with Patsy Cline at the Arts Club. We talked about the remarkable bond between director and cast and about the unique generation that's coming of age nowadays, 
But first, here she is talking about what Glory Days is all about. That they're in a time of their life of growth, and the lead character, Will, has a fear of change, like so many of us do. And it's about the fact that they've changed, and they're growing, and they're becoming men. They're stepping into a world that is an in- they're having to be independent. And so it's about change and acceptance, and accepting who they are becoming, and not trying to hold on to their past. That sounds like a, a pretty... That sounds like a pretty good topic nowadays. I think in the Globe and Mail this morning, in fact, there was a, a piece about how uh, coming of age nowadays is not like it used to be. And they had a picture of a of a like an 80-year-old, and above his head it said, you know, um, get a job, uh, get married, uh, work, work, buy a house, retire. And then uh, there was a young guy, and over his head it was like, you know, l- l- rent a place, uh, travel grow up some more, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And then I guess they're talking about how, you know, it's just, it's changed a lot, the, the growing up process. What, what do you think about that? I think that's absolutely true. I think we're a very, a very different gener- generation. I think that the last 20 years has actually been, and it's funny, one of the songs in the show talks about this. It's a very me, me, me generation. Um, we allow ourselves this uh, freedom to make choices that our parents made when they were 21, we allow ourselves to make those change, those choices in our 30s. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also lots of issues that we talk about uh, today that they that they used to hide, that they used to bottle. And that's a big part of this play is is, um, is topics that are brought up though, that we our generation does talk about because we're a me, me, me generation. Right. Can you give me an example of that? Um, well, for example, there's a, a, a story of homosexuality in this, mm-hmm. and that is something that, you know, if you were gay in, in high school in the 50s, you had to be pretty brave and strong to come forward and tell your friends that. Right. Where in today's world, there's still not enough acceptance. There's still a lot of people who are uh, are very challenged by that. Mm. And so for them, uh, you know, this can, I hope that this can um, get them thinking more, have more forward thinking. But for a lot of people, uh, it's a, it's something that just happens every day. A friend comes out to them every single day at school, you know, it's a far more common thing today. Hmm. So, so you think that this show is a good, uh, it's something that's, that's timely and, and worthwhile and has something to, to sort of contribute to the cultural dialogue of the day? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think for both the young generation and our parents' generation, um, if anything, for our, for our parents' generation, you know, if they do have kids that are at college and are dealing with these topics that they didn't have to deal with, then maybe it will um, help with the empathetic part of it and understanding that these are topics that we deal with on a regular basis. Hmm. And just growing and change. Yeah. I mean... You're right. Today's generation is different. You don't necessarily make a choice of who you marry at 21. You decide which country you're going to go travel to or <laughs> who you're going to shack up with as roommates. You know, it's very, very different. Right. Now, let me ask you uh, as a um, about the directing aspect, because you are also an actor and a singer as well, right? Yeah, I am, yeah. So uh, I just wonder how you've been enjoying the, the directing process and how your other talents kind of, do, do, they, do they help you in directing? I think so. I think in a lot of ways, 
uh, you can let them help you or they can be detrimental to you. Oh, really? Um, I really love directing. I think if you, you can't go in being an actor and making those choices for the actors that you're directing. And that's the challenge of being an actor is we have a, every actor has their own process of how they get there. And when you're directing, you may have for, well, in this instance, I have four very different actors who process in four very different ways. And so I have to get, I have to figure out the language that they speak individually so I can help guide them in the story. So that's the biggest challenge of it. Yeah. Yes, it does help. Sorry, tell me a little bit more about that. That seems very interesting that it seems, it sounds like you pay attention a lot to these four individuals, your, your leads. And so tell me a little bit more about having to sort of, um, negotiate or, or at least sort of understand each actor and how they, they work. Well, um, yeah, it's just about the process. I mean, you see that some, some actors, you ask them a question or right. give them a note and they can apply it immediately. Right. They, they go, Oh, I get it. And they do it. And other actors, um, have their own process where they have to go away and they have to think about it and then they have to, find their own way to get there and their intention. And so it's, you have to have more patience for that and understand that, you know, that tomorrow they'll come in and understand what it's saying, but in this second, they can't necessarily apply everything. Hmm. There's uh, um, actors who are, come from a dance background. So they learn things physically and it's trying to help them understand that the physical will come with the intention and so it's great that they have strength physically and that they're very comfortable in their own body, but not to let it be come from a choreographic place. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It sounds like more work, though, doesn't it? <laughs> but I guess it, it pays well, off. Well, for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, ultimately, if you're directing, they're, they're, you know, you're leading them your own way. But I find, I find it far more... Um, gratifying to me if I'm learning from their process too. You know, like if I just came in and bulldozed, then I would be telling the story in one way and not allow them them to help me question as well. If an actor comes back and says, I know that's what you're thinking, but I don't, I'm not thinking that at all. Yeah. Listening to them, you know, helps get to a better place. Even if we still stay on where I envisioned in the first place, you know, it still helps to have the conversation. Yeah, I think maybe if you're able to sacrifice a little bit of your own vision and sort of not not hog uh, the vision yourself, I think maybe it opens up um, more richness at the end of the day, right? If you let everybody contribute something to the to the storytelling. Absolutely. As long as you know that in the end, you have to make a solid decision and stay within a vision. There's nothing wrong with with um, allowing ideas and playing. I mean, that's the whole joy of rehearsal. I, I find that is when the magic happens is when everybody starts playing with one another and, but there, but there still is a strong leader up front to say that is not working. And this is right. You know? And I'm sure you know that as an actor that you appreciate having somebody to, to sort of guide the process along, right? Absolutely. Oh gosh. Yeah. You just, <laughs> it's like, it's like being in school. I mean, it's such a terrible, comparison but children love to play and have the freedom to play but we all want um guidance Hmm. we all want guidance and we all want discipline 
if if you have someone who's leading you that is wishy-washy, then you are going to be wishy-washy as well. Hmm. Well, we're we're quickly running out of time, but I just wonder what what's the best thing about this show, or what's something that that people should know to to get out there and see it. You know, these four boys are best friends in life, and they found this piece, and it connected to them personally in their hearts, and they decided to put up this production. And I think that that is awesome on so many levels, to have the bravery to to for sometimes be walking in your own shoes in a character, and also to have the bravery to produce your own show. Mm-hmm. I just would love people to come out and support these guys. They're four, they really are. I'm doing this because I really like these four boys. I, I think that they have a lot of talent, and they're the up-and-coming young generation of actors in this city, and that would be the reason I would say to come. <laughs> and that's Sarah Jean Hosey talking about Glory Days, which is coming to the Colch from January 18th until the 28th. And that's a Tuesday through to Saturday run at 8 p.m. with 1 p.m. matinees on January 18th and 25th and 2 p.m. matinees on the 21st, 22nd, and 28th. You can get all of those details by going to theculch.com and tickets are 18 to 25 Dollars, So go to theculch.com to buy tickets and find out uh, showtimes, etc., etc. That's the Boys Upstairs Equity Co-op um, theater company presenting Glory Days. All right. So that is the end of our show. Megan, it's been a blast. It's been a blast for me as well. Are you going to use Glory Days to play us out? Or did you not think that far ahead? No, I'm not that smart. Um, but since we have a little bonus time, um, we were having a bit of a debate um, about generations, weren't we? Well, I was just, we were talking a little bit about how we measure generations anymore. Well, because you started by asking, what's the millennials again? And, yeah. And I was like, well, well like, we're of- fairly intelligent people. We should know that. We should Are know. we millennials? Are we why? I think we're both. I think that, that Y and sense. millennials is the same. Like millennials, I believe, are people who have come of age after the new millennium, like graduated okay. from high school, uh, going see. to college, that sort of coming of age. Okay, thing. so I guess in that case we are. In that case, technically we are. But then there's also this whole Gen Gen Y thing where it's like the post Gen X generation. Yes. Which, I mean, but see that this is an example of what you were saying about the sort of uh, bleed through between mm-hmm. generations is that technically. My parents are baby boomers, mm-hmm. which makes me Generation X. Yes. Because my brothers, my brother uh, is 10 years older than, than I am, and he's clearly Gen X. Mm-hmm. But he's so, my brother, so that makes me Gen X too. I think, Gen, I think also people forget that like generations have, you know, if a generation is even 10 or even 20 years, depending, um, you know, the top of that generation is going to be a lot different than the bottom. I know um, my partner, his younger brother is 10 years younger than he is. And right. so, like, those people are basically of a different generation than each other in terms of experiences. Like, we remember getting the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't have a video game in my house so I was younger. And that's partly, you know, certain choices by my parents. But that's also partly just, you know, I remember computer class. With those old Macs. <laughs> yeah. And those giant if you were uh, lucky. three and a half inch floppy disks. Yeah, if you, you were those? lucky. You had to put them in and then, like, turn the lever thing. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> to like, shut them in the drive, yeah. So they didn't fall out or something, yeah. And technology moves so quickly too that the references are different. What do you mean? Different? Well, I mean if people like they change, yeah, the, how you grow up changes so quickly now. LOL. The, yeah. BRB. 
Now, LOL, that's lots of love, right? Laughing out loud. Says my mother. <laughs> I thought you were asking yourself, and I was like, Megan, come on. Yeah, I was, I, made, I was just making a little joke, guys. Irony. I know what LOL this means. Is, it's a generational thing. Yeah. Because I'm Gen X, so I don't understand your strange irony, Megan. Yeah. Well, I'm really good at it. I practice. Dude, is that <laughs> all you kids do? Why don't you get a job? Yeah, we just and, sit and around and be ironic. That's buy a what we house. do. Grow up, you silly kids. <laughs> You're like, aren't you younger than me? Maybe. You're like a year older than me, Max, I think. <laughs> You'll never know. All right, so that is the end of our program uh, for this week. You've been listening to The Arts Report. If you've missed any of our show, you can go to citr.ca and find follow the appropriate links to find our podcast. Or just go to iTunes and type in Arts Report, and you'll be able to download this program. Although technically not yet because we're still on the air. So the podcast goes up in a few hours. Can you guys just wait two minutes to download us? I Jeez. know. Jeez, you generation of <laughs> it's, listeners. It's the I want it now generation. <laughs> it's the CITR generation. <laughs> <laughs> They're impatient. Um, yeah, and you can check out our podcast from last week because last week we did the best of 2011. And we had some awesome <laughs> interviews that we did throughout uh, 2011, um, including Dr. Gabor Mate, mm. who wrote In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. He uh, interviewed him last uh, February and I actually went to his house, which was freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, and interviewed him for a, a Fringe Festival fundraiser that he was doing with um, Fringe God, quote unquote, TJ Daw. So there's a, we have an interview with TJ Daw as well, where he talks about his favorite show, The Wire, and how it inspires him theatrically. That's everyone's favorite show. Isn't it just? It's a great show. And also, uh, we have an interview from last week, in, in last week's show, with a woman who wrote a book about her travels with leprechauns. Of course. Again, like, pretty common stuff, guys. <laughs> and also, a uh, renowned uh, Albertan puppeteer, Ronnie Briquette. What? What's wrong I with thought Albertan? you were going to say a renowned Albertan. He's a renowned Albertan. That's fantastic. And, and Canadian, I guess. He belongs to us, too, Megan. <laughs> so there's an interview with him as well, and uh, The Wizards, yeah, which is, of course, uh, Vancouver's local wizard band, uh, and they perform in full wizard regalia. Now, they're done now, aren't they? Wasn't one of their what? members moving away? That was the scuttlebutt. That's right, scuttlebutt. I think we have a, we have a top... We have, we have a breaking news. I joined in on that one. That was nice. It was a good, good harmony. Yeah. That so sample that one. <laughs> so they're not together anymore? Um, like don't quote me on that because I don't I don't want to be the bringer of bad news, but that was the that was when I was talking to a member of the wizard who said that's he was moving away. <laughs> that's a pretty good song. Make it sound like I don't but really in know. The railway club, it was loud, but uh, yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> I, which yeah, I've seen them a couple times and they are really fun. So. We're coming out with a new album. What? You're breaking up? <laughs> Wait, maybe. Yeah. What's or maybe that? maybe things have changed. Maybe they came to their senses. Well, if they have broken up, you can hear their last <laughs> interview <laughs> that we did with them. Um, what was that for? That was for a show they were doing, I think, for the Fun Drive last year? Or um, maybe I'm making that up. It doesn't matter. It's a great interview, though. And he, do- he does the, the interview as the wizard. Of course. Of course. Wait, they aren't wizards? No, they are wizards. Oh, that's Megan. really disappointing. Oh, I just blew it. Sorry. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to, to Megan for, for co-hosting with me today. And once again, I apologize. That's going to be my tag yeah. from now on, I think. I'm Megan Thomas. 
I'm and I sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, thanks to Nick Sartori for those wicked scoops he gave us uh, earlier in the show via telephone, which we've never yeah. done on the Arts Report before. And shout out to Anna in Mexico. And Anna called our producer, uh, who is still on holiday in Mexico. Still she, up. Oh, so long. Those Lazy. Mexicans. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I, Adam, you just made me racist. You just made me racist on the... On why? The, why would you be racist like that? I don't know. That was all Adam, you guys. That was all Adam. Right, we're getting silly here, so we better sign off. Yeah, um, especially Adam. Wow. Um, so that's it for us this week. Um, thanks for listening, and join us again next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for the Arts Report. We're going to get calls. We're going to get calls? We're going to get calls. We're going to get uh, our license pulled. Thanks a lot, Megan, for your racist comment. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Do, 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 do.